Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Saul thought he had his own kingdom too. And that'll cause you to live wrong. If you think something belongs to you, right? We're in the kingdom. We're pilgrim passing through. We don't own anything. Um, I pastor this church, right? I I don't like to even say my church. I didn't die for y'all. I didn't shed no blood for y'all. This is his church. I got a job. I'm I'm glad to be on the, I'm glad to be on the roll. I'm glad I get to do something here, but it's his church. He bought this church with his blood. When he's coming back, he's coming back for his church. As Christians, this is the mindset we need to have while living on earth. We're just pilgrims passing through and nothing belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. Today, Pastor Bill teaches you that when you try to hold on to your own kingdom, you open up yourself to greed, jealousy, and entitlement. King Saul thought that the kingdom was his, even though he knew that God had chosen David to be the next king. Saul wasted years of his life trying to kill David and fight against God's plans. Don't make the same mistake. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20 as he continues his message, My Brother's Keeper. Saul calls his mother. He says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. That's messed up. And then he says, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? He's saying, look, you've chosen him. You're supposed to be the king, boy. And you chose him instead of yourself. You're a shame to your mother. Just who would want to hear these things from your dad, right? This is your dad. And nobody would want to be spoken to like this. But this is the kind of guy Saul was. A harsh man, an unloving man. He was willing to kill his son a few chapters back um, just because he made a rash vow. Um, And so verse 31, it says, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Some of us, I want you to know, Saul's talking about Jonathan, your kingdom. Saul thought he had his own kingdom, too. And that'll cause you to live wrong. If you think something belongs to you, right? We're in the kingdom. We're pilgrim passing through. We don't own anything. Um, I pastor this church, right? I I don't like to even say my church. I didn't die for y'all. I didn't shed no blood for y'all. This is his church. I got a job. I'm I'm glad to be on the, I'm glad to be on the roll. I'm glad I get to do something here, but it's his church. He bought this church with his blood. When he's coming back, he's coming back for his church. Um, None of us, we, we don't take ownership. We may have a ministry, something that God lets us do. I oversee this ministry. It's, it's, tr- treat that all very lightly. Treat that all very lightly that this is, it's my privilege to be involved. It's my privilege to get to be a part of this thing, but it's God's. It's God's people. It's God's church. It's God's people. It's his kingdom. I am glad to be in the kingdom, right? He's the king and we're the subjects and he's, it's his kingdom. Saul was, Worried about his own kingdom. So much of what Saul did was worried about that. How am I going to look? What are they going to say? Even when he messed up before Samuel, he said, Samuel, well, just, just come to worship with me. So I still want people to look at me and think that everything is all right. Even though it's not all right. I want it to look like it's all right. And here he's telling his son, man, you could have your, you're missing out on having your own kingdom. Jonathan, though he's young, Jonathan understands better than his dad does. Jonathan's already functioned as a citizen of the kingdom. He's already recognized who the king has selected. He's in agreement with what the king has done. 
He's okay with the fact that it doesn't involve him being king and he's helping David become what God has called him to be. He really is because he's not selfish, because he's not trying to have a kingdom of his own. He actually helped God's kingdom and, and, and what God was trying to accomplish at this time in the earth. Right. He was his brother's keeper. He was keeping his brother safe. He's going to do all that he committed to do for David. If we could have that mindset, we're New Testament church. Things are different now. But if we could have the kingdom mindset, right, that what does my king want in this situation? Right. What 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 benefits the kingdom in this? If we would think like that, behave like that, let that govern what we would and wouldn't do. We would we would be we find ourselves being helpful to the things that, that matter to God and maybe not getting involved in some things that this is this is counterproductive to the kingdom. Uh, we had a very tumultuous year, 2020, right? A lot of divisive things, racial things, political things, so forth and so on. Lots of things that were just dividing people up. And that was, you know, I live in the same world you guys live in. I see the same news that you guys see. Um, I'm experiencing all these things. And I, I, I really prayed like, Lord, what's what's the I'm passing through down here. It's a mess, too. But what's the kingdom perspective on these things that we don't that I don't become part. I don't facilitate division, but that I help the people that are listening to me to stay, stay up under you. And that, that was really my goal. I don't want to say more than should be said, less than should would be. I don't want to say anything that would cause you to have an allegiance to someone other than Jesus. And I'm okay with that. I, I, but if, if this, this is my genuine belief, right? Whatever's happening in the world, there's new things happening right now. Whatever's happening in the world, the problem is sin. The solution is Jesus. And I don't believe there's any other solution than Jesus. I don't believe you can march it out. I don't believe you can vote it out. I don't believe you can, you know, I don't believe any of that works. That all the sin that we see, people need to be born again. That means the church needs to be preaching the gospel. And if we would do our part, prayer, praying, preaching the gospel, reaching the lost, that's how we influence culture. That's how we would influence change. Um, and so the world will suggest many other things. We got to get out and vote. Go ahead. We've been voting. You keep voting. You ain't going to vote it out. You can't you can't legislate righteousness, you guys. Right. If we if, if Christians voted and got everything we wanted on the on the ballot, it wouldn't stop the stuff that's going on. Um, I'm I, I looking at now, you know, the, there's there's a lot of, you know, people feel a different way about guns. And I'm not getting into that with you guys. I was just saying this. Uh, I went to London in the hood in London. And, and I just remember it was it was, it was funny to me because nobody has guns in London. The police don't even have guns in London. Right. But guess what? While we were there, the week we were there, the church is bemoaning this young kid that, that, that I'm like, they're still killing each other just like they do out here. They're just stabbing each other. You take away guns and people are going to stab. You take away knives, they're going to throw rocks. I mean, people are going to figure out a way. Murder is not going to be stopped. You're not going to make rules that stop murder. It's been against the law. Amen. And people still die by murder every single day. So anyway, to all that to say. Well, the church has to stay mindful of the fact that um, th there's no solution to what's broken down here other than what God has already given us. The world's going to offer the world's been offering us solutions all along. It's sad when the church starts bu buying in to the world's offers. You guys, that's what we, we got to do this. No, we don't. We got to pray and we got to be preaching the gospel. If that person gets born again, God will work a work in their heart. They won't want to do that anymore. And it's a slower work. It requires faith, but it's a more genuine work and it's long lasting all the way into eternity. Amen. Don't forget that. Right. You're part of the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of almighty God. 
And we won't fix the problems down here with man's solutions. We're going to fix it by the more people that submit to him as king. That's how that's how we gain ground. That's how that's how we get things fixed and made right. And so um, we need to be committed to that work as uh, as citizens of the kingdom. Amen. And so moving on now, um, verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? Then look at this. Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So as Jonathan stood up for David in this instance right here, his dad took the spear, probably the one he was waiting on David at dinner to throw at him. And he threw it at his own son. This this is a man in his own son. You just you just been telling him how he was going to be the next king. And now you chucking a spear at him, too. And so, again, as I look at this, I'm looking at John. I'm looking at a young man who, for God's purpose, has even put himself in harm's way. I mean, how does that feel? Your own dad just, you know, essentially if your dad shot at you, but he missed. I mean, he threw a spear at him to, with, with, with malicious intent to kill him um, and he missed. Here's something else that I, I wonder if, if it began to go through Saul's mind. As all these attempts to kill, he's failing every time. He's failed to kill David every time he's tried. Now he's chucking the spirit of his own son. He's failing here. Um, that there's just no anointing on him, right? He, he can't even do bad stuff good anymore. You can't even, he can't even, he can't even commit a good old murder when he wants to. I mean, everything he's attempting to do at those that are covered by God is just failing and failing of fail. I wonder if that's mounting on him that, that he can't. And I'm reminded of this for those of us that love the Lord, right? That, that nothing can happen to you till God, the, the God doesn't allow. If God, if it wasn't Jonathan's time, Jonathan wasn't getting stuck with that spear. If it wasn't David's time, David wasn't getting hit with that spear that God will cover his people until it's time. He sets that in order, you know, but they were covered and uh, God protected them even even under these. You know, they're, they're, they got they got warfare at close quarters, but God protected them. He covered them and uh, didn't let um, they didn't let Saul's plans come to pass. Verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. There's a place for righteous anger, right? This is it. And I want you to note this. It says he rose up from the table in fierce anger. But he, the Bible says be angry, but what? He doesn't sin. He gets up. He fast. He didn't eat any food. And it says he was grieved because of what his father had done to David. His father had treated David shamefully. This is why he treated him shamefully. Because of what David, David has done anything wrong to be treated this way, right? He's been faithful. He's delivered Israel. He's helped them as a king. And it's actually embarrassing that King Saul would treat him in this way uh, after all he's done for um, for Israel at this point. And so um, he's angry with a righteous anger, um, but it doesn't lead him to sin. And we want to we want to be careful of that. Uh, there will be times, there'll be things that you see as a believer that anger you, that angers me. It angers me to see bad things happen to kids. It angers me to see, you know, the weak taken advantage of or people treated poorly. Um, but anger can't lead to sin. We got to um, again, righteous anger can lead us. It can lead us to pray. It can lead you to do something. But don't let anger lead you into a place of sin. You can't match sin with more sin. Amen. All right. Verse thirty five now it says. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad was with him. 
Then he said to the lad, now run and find the arrow. Um, now run and find the arrows, which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And that was the sign. The, 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 the arrow goes beyond you. That was a sign that the evil is determined. And so when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and says, it's not the arrow beyond you. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept, but David more so. Now, I got to talk about this for just a moment, because this is, again, you know, one of those verses that um, those who are for homosexuality and they want to read it into Scripture, um, they've taken David and John's relationship and they said all these guys were they had a homosexual relationship. They loved each other right here. They kissed. It means a passionate like a tongue kiss, so forth and so on. And let me exp- I, I I hate that people do that, you know, with a text like this. Obviously, these guys love each other. In our culture, we don't kiss. And it's a different culture. Uh, there are cultures where, you know, people greet with a holy kiss. We greet with hugs and handshakes and so forth and so on. Um, and these guys, in the same way that you may have brothers that just embrace and they just, oh, they just hug each other. No, no gay stuff. It's just a genuine love. That's what's happening here between these guys. And this is what it's an emotional thing because they know at this point David's got to go. Right. These guys are intimate friends. They love each other. They they probably want to be together and hang out and grow up together. And they're like, David's got to be a fugitive. He's got to go. Jonathan's got to stay and David's got to go. And so when it says that they, you know, he bowed down, they they kissed each other. They wept together. It says, but David more so. It's, you know, David was he was at home keeping the sheep. Right. He got snatched out of there into the palace. Hey, come play for me. And he played for him. And he would go back home and he'd come back and play for him and go back home. And then he killed Goliath. And then Saul said, bring him here and don't let him go back home. He's going to stay here. Now he's in the palace. Pulled him out of his home, brought him into the palace. New surroundings, new people. Everybody loved him. Everything was going great. Him and Jonathan have a great thing going. Life's going good. And now it's like, now you're out of here. And you can't go home. You just got to go. Where? I don't know where I'm going. You have to go. You just got to go. You're a fugitive. You got to get out. That's so I want to look at David as like, man, I'm losing ever losing my friend, losing my family. I don't know where I'm going or who I'm going to. Here's the amazing thing, because this is where you for you guys that love the Psalms. Right. The Psalms are born out of moments like this. David's going to spend years running from Saul. He's going to be in caves. He's going to be hiding out here. He's going to be high. He's going to have some low moments, some broken times, some desperate things. Knowing enemies, Saul's got people chasing me here. He's going to he's going to you know what he's but all and all of the difficulty he's going to go through. He's going to have this intimacy with the Lord that we enjoy in reading through the Psalms. And it's one of the amazing things to me in the scriptures is when when people get kind of isolated, where they're, they're, they're just away from they're put out. Even against their will, they're like removed from everybody else. It seems that sometimes those are the most intimate times with the Lord. I look at uh, John. John, when he was exiled to Patmos, put away from everybody else, he got his greatest revelation. I mean, he had been with Jesus, 
right? But he, now he's got the greatest revelation ever when he was put away from everybody else. And it was just him and the Lord. David's going to have some amazing moments as, yes, it's not what I wanted. This is not the way I planned it. And today I'm crying and I'm weeping and it's just ah, it's a bitter day today. But God's going to do something through it. And God's going to do something in that those those cave moments and those times. There's some of the Psalms where as you read them, it starts off with David praying or asking God to do this. And then it breaks in the praise somewhere along the way. It goes from a Psalm of David saying this is happening and my enemies and this. And then somewhere it just it's like it's like his, the, the, he breaks into his own praise. Like he just breaks it breaks himself out. Right. Uh, of, of what he's going through. And so. Um, I just want to remind you guys that, that we'll have as believers, we'll have dark days. We'll have moments where this is not what I planned. This is not how I would have wanted it to go. I don't like how this played out. This hurts. This is difficult. But if you're in the Lord and God is governing your life and, and this difficult season is part of God's plan, be careful not to go away from God in difficulty. You always want to run to God in difficulty. That's when God will start to make sense of the difficult things. The, the enemy will be begging you. See, if God was all powerful, why well, he would let that happen to you? I'll, you know, the enemy will be beckoning you back into the world so you could just squander everything. But if you take the lesson from those that have gone before you in scripture, those who were in their darkest moment went to the Lord, always found them. Always. If in your dark moments you go to the Lord, never he, there, there was never anybody in a dark moment that went looking for the Lord and didn't find him. He is found by those who seek him. And so maybe you got stuff going on. Maybe there's life things now that you're like, why did this happen? It's not right. It's not fair. How come they did that? Da, da, da. Take it to the Lord. Let the, the let the Lord make sense of the mess. Let him unravel it. This will all make sense to David later. Later on, David is going to be the king. Later on, he's going to be elevated. Later on, he's going to be raised up. Later on, he's going to be leading people and winning victories and going forth in the name of the Lord. But there's a season here where God say, I'm going to bring you close. I uh, think of the book of Job, where probably the worst trial that you could think of. But have you ever considered this, that the, the, the most of the book of Job is Job and God interacting? Right. The, the, the lengthiest part of the book of Job this man who started off the book, loving God, upright, blameless, fear God, shun evil. Two chapters of hellacious trials, a couple of raggedy, few raggedy friends, you know, mess things over. And then the rest of the book is God saying, just taking him further and, and revealing more of who he is to him. And at the end of the book, God is, is, is restoring and reestablishing him and extending his life and blessing him. Right. But the, the bulk of the book is Job is getting to have an encounter with the living God. God didn't leave him in his trials. Friends left him. Um, so we don't want to be we don't want to be Job's friends. Those some raggedy friends. Kick him to the curb and don't bring him back, you know, but you don't want to be those kind of friends. And hopefully you don't have them. So um, but again, like I say, David, um, we can feel sad. You know, when I read this, it says, man, they both wept, but David wept more. I think he had more to weep over, you know, that that he he's losing a lot right here. It seems at the moment. Um, but God would restore more more than that. And so maybe you're weeping over what looks like, man, it looks like I'm losing a lot here. This just doesn't look like the way I wanted things to go. Um, I hope you'll take encouragement from this, that um, as long as God is in charge of what's going on, right, all things are working together for the good 
of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That's all we have to concern ourselves with. Do I love God and I'm not called according to his purpose? Then this is working out for good. Uh, I don't have to know how today, but I have to trust it by faith today. Amen. And so verse uh, last uh, verse, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we both have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. And I think about this. Jonathan is going to end up having to go back into the, the city. Um, he's going to have to go back to his dad. You know, dad just threw a spear at him. I, you know, you, you might think Jonathan would say, man, I'm, I'm going to go with you, bro. <laughs> you know, but he's, he's going to have to go back and deal with his crazy daddy uh, while while David has to have his own time with the Lord. And so um, they're going to keep their commitments. They're going to keep their relationships with each other. Um, the one beautiful thing I think I see in this chapter is you see the commitment and the relationship between Jonathan and David and how uh, in, in a rough time. And that's the thing. Your 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 strong spiritual relationships they're going to mean the most in a difficult time. That's when you're going to experience it the most. That's when you need it the most, right? When you when you're at your at your hour of greatest need, that's when those relationships are going to they're going to mean the most. And so, uh, I would just I'm going to leave us with this encouragement that um as those that are part of the body of Christ, when your brother, when your sister, those that God has put you in in relationship with um in moments of great disaster, trial, hurt, be as available as possible. Those are the moments when you want to just step in and say, I'm, I'm going to stand with you right now. Uh, I'm going to be here. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to inconvenience myself if need be. Um, do that for one another. Um, be what be what you would want if, if it were you. Someone's dealing with a death. Someone's dealing with an illness. Someone's dealing with a loss. Someone's dealing with trial. Be to others what you would hope someone would be to you. And here's what happened. You will reap what you sow. You'll reap what you sow. Uh, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I've been I've been praying this for Pastor Clint. Some of you guys know Clint was with me for 10 years. Um, he pretty much came at the beginning when we planted the church and stayed with me the whole time. And, and you know, now he's planted Calvary Chapel Compton. And my prayer for him ever since we first talked about him planting it is I pray that God would give him someone that was like what he was to me. Right. He was such a faithful f- friend servant, prayer warrior, you know, all of those things um, that I, that's been my prayer. God, I pray that he would reap what he sowed. Um, and, and all those years, he was never a burden. He was always a blessing. He was always a, a, a arm lifter. And so it's like, God, I pray that now as he's planting and I keep praying, I'm waiting to see the guy that I'm like, there he is. That's the, that's, that's, that's your, that's your guy. You, you, I want him to reap what he sowed in that, you know, that he was a faithful Servant, and you want to see people like that. Like I, I want him to have what he was, and I do believe that we reap what we sow. So you be a friend, right? The Bible says if you want to, if you want to have friends, you got to do what? Show yourself friendly. So if you acting all cantankerous and nasty, talking about, I don't have no friends, because stop scratching, folks, and you have some friends. All right, Father in Heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for the lessons that you teach us. Uh, through the lives of those that have gone before us. Uh, God, I pray um, you'd help us to be people that are kingdom minded. God, that you would give us your love for your church and for your people, uh, that there be a genuineness about the way that we love others. Uh, God, that it would be fleshed out in service, in kindness, in speech, 
and what we're willing to do and, and how we're willing to, how we treat people. Uh, Lord, I pray we could take from what we learned tonight and apply it, Lord. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 1 Samuel, this book covers some interesting history in the Jewish nation of Israel. The book starts with a prophet declaring the first king of Israel, and the book ends with the death of this same king. Why did Israel desire to have a king so badly? Was it a case of everyone else has one, so we should too? It seemed to have been a situation where the people wanted a person to rule and reign over them, rather than just trusting God to do the kingly duties. As we all know, humans have a tendency to fail and falter, and the first king of Israel was no stranger to this. King Saul started off well, but he didn't end well. Power, prestige, disobedience, and insecurity were all part of his downfall. May these messages in the book of 1 Samuel be a good reminder and a lesson that no matter what man attempts to do, without God, things will surely crumble. If you'd like to hear this message again or listen to more messages from 1 Samuel, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call or text 310-245-4811. Once more, that number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of 1 Samuel, here on A Transforming Word.